Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. On the show today is my friend, Emily Rodovich. Emily is a retired English teacher, mother of three, and grandmother of four, who had a near-death experience at the age of 18. That extraordinary event opened the door to a lifetime of spiritual happenings. In recent years, she realized their immeasurable benefits and was inspired to write her memoir called Mystical Interludes, An Ordinary Person's Extraordinary Experiences, which chronicles 10 of her stunning events. Believing that everybody experiences mystical interludes, she invited her readers to submit their stories for publication in her second book called Mystical Interludes 2, a collection of extraordinary people's extraordinary experiences. Today, she leads the Mystical Interludes discussion group. Emily's mission is to do her part to support our collective spiritual evolution by bringing personal mystical events out of the shadows and into the light. In so doing, she foresees a day when mystical interludes will be accepted as normal human events rather than strange or weird occurrences. You can visit Emily's websites at either emilyrodovich.com or mysticalinterludes.com. Emily, my friend, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandra. I'm so happy to be here because I've been a fan of yours forever, I swear. (laughs) You're so sweet. And of course, um, I saw you at your wonderful Boston conference, uh, which was, oh my gosh, it was tremendously enlightening. Just wonderful. Thank you. You know, I, I wanted to tell you that when I left there, I felt as though I had received a college education because I learned so much about what's going on in the realm of life after death communication, and other facets of uh, spirituality. I I mean, I was just loaded when I came home. Oh, so I feel very blessed as well. I think that the people that were there, they had some different speakers at Orlando, of course, but they're just some of the best of the best good souls that just want to make a difference. Absolutely. So I will continue such events. And Good. introduce new great people. And I just love this show because I get to hear good things. And I've got your two beautiful books in front of me. And I'm just so glad that I get to find out now, one-on-one, or we all do, who you are and your journey and what you're up to. Okay. So the floor is yours. So here's how we normally go. And you're a listener of the show, so you know. But just about you and how, you know, some of your background and how, well, obviously, I'd love to hear about your near-death experience, but how you got into this world of the mystical interludes. Well, um, first of all, I was uh, born into a poor family. My dad was a uh, coal miner, and I had two younger brothers, uh, each of us three years between our births, and um, uh, came into this world with no church affiliation um, because my parents' uh, families had religious conflicts, and so they were married by a justice of the peace, and 
what I learned about God, I learned uh, through my mother. But um, I have always prayed and I have lived a life in gratitude and I learned very early in life uh, to forgive. But the big influence was my mom because she was clairvoyant. But we lived in an era where you couldn't talk about those things. People were actually committed by <laughs> talking about near-death experiences and, and spiritual experiences. So my mother uh, was very, very secretive about her clairvoyance. But I knew about it because just growing up, she never talked about it, but you know, when company was coming to our house, Sandra, she would get us to clean up our toys and clean our room, and she would bake something wonderful for our company. Mm-hmm. And so that was the routine. But then there were those days where nobody was coming, and all of a sudden she'd look at us and she'd say, clean up your room, put away your toys, and she would bake something. And lo and behold, someone would pop in. Mm-hmm. So I started to notice um, little things like that. And um, uh, so, but I, but I, you know, we, did, we didn't discuss it. And I pondered the big questions, I swear, from the day I popped out of the womb. I was wondering, who am I? Why am I here? What's this life all about? And um, I, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember getting up or late at night. I remember lying in bed and knowing, just knowing, that my name had not always been Emily. Really? That I had been here before, mm. that I had lived as a different person. And I kept trying to remember who that person was, but I couldn't quite get there. But to give you an idea of how these things were handled in in our household, (laughs) the next morning, I got up for breakfast and I said, Mom, guess what? I think I lived here in another life before, before I was born into this body as Emily. Couldn't that happen to people? Did you ever think of that? Does anyone think that way? And she looked at me and she said, I've never heard of it. Go clean your room. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see how, um, how I was inculcated into keeping quiet about these things. Yes. So, um, by the time I was, when I was 18, I had a near-death experience, and after that, all kinds of things happened. But um, I did want to share a story with you about how I knew my mother was clairvoyant, for sure. Absolutely. I, I have several of those, but I, I, I'll share one with you. And this was... After um, I had my near-death experience, and um, I didn't, you know, (laughs) I had a hard time uh, talking about it, Um, so it was kind of on the back burner of my mind, and that's another story. But one night, 
mom and I were standing at the sink doing dishes together and she was washing and I was drying and all of a sudden I noticed that her hands in the dishwater stopped moving and she was staring out the window. It was dark outside and she just seemed to be staring into the darkness. I wondered what she was thinking. And she looked at me and said, you know, I think Grandpap Eli is going to die soon. Well, those words stunned me. I didn't expect that. And I said, Mom, what makes you say that? Grandpap is fine. Why would you say he's going to die soon? And she said, I had a vivid dream. And in my dream, I saw your dad, um, the car, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, I saw the cars pulling up to the front of uh, their house after, uh, after Grandpap's funeral. And I watched your dad helping grandma out of the car and she was crying into a white handkerchief. And I was on my way up the steps to the front porch when I felt a runner slide up the nylon uh, at the back of my right leg. And I just stood there and looked at her and I said, well, (laughs) it was just a dream and uh, that's all it was. And, uh, you know, don't worry about it. And I didn't give it any more thought. Well, (laughs) about 10 days later, after my grandfather Eli's funeral, I was following my mother up the steps to my grandparents' front porch I turned and looked and saw my father helping my grandmother out of the car and she was crying into a white handkerchief. I looked down in front of me because I was behind my mother and I watched a runner go up the dark stocking of her right leg. And when I saw that, I went, oh, mom this is exactly like your dream. And she turned around and looked at me, Sandra, and she said, let's not talk about it. (laughs) Wow. And that was the end of that. But that is, uh, gives you an idea. When I say she was clairvoyant, it's because of that kind of an experience with her. It wasn't hearsay. I absolutely experienced it with her. Pretty incredible. So, yeah. So, um, because we didn't talk uh, about these things, after I had my near death experience, I had no words to describe what had happened to me. I, I couldn't get myself to say, I died and went to heaven and then came back because. It happened uh, before Raymond Moody coined the uh, term near-death experience. There was just no way to talk about it. Right. So I realized that I sounded uh, quite foolish. But I was 18 then, and um, after that, I had many extraordinary experiences, which I kept to myself. And um, I mostly kept them to myself until my beloved companion, Jim, (laughs) 
uh, insisted uh, that I write them down for my children and grandchildren. And um, that's kind of uh, how I got to where I am right now. Can you share with us the near-death experience now that I'm guessing you have the language for it? (laughs) I do have the language, but I have uh, shared it so many times, and it is in my book. What I would like to share with you, uh, Sandra, if you don't mind, is how it changed my life, because I think that is what is so significant about near-death experiences. Yes, I did die. Yes, I did go to the amazing, loving light that nobody can quite describe, and um, uh, I learned a great deal from my uh, experience, but um, I would like mostly to talk about why near-death experiences are so, so important. Um, And it's because it changes a human being. Now, for you to understand how it changed my life, I need to give you a bit of a backstory. Okay. Um, Have you ever been afraid of death? Uh, Yes. Capital Y, capital E, capital S, yes. Oh, then I'm not alone. Uh, um, Then you'll understand what I'm about to share with you. We lived in a small town, and about three houses up on our street, there was a sweet elderly widow. Her name was Mrs. Morrow, and she became like a surrogate grandmother to me. During the summer, she would sit on her big porch uh, in a white wicker, uh, on a white wicker sofa that had flowered pillows and so on. And um, I was always running back and forth past her house, running errands. And she always invited me up and she would buy ribbons and she would braid my hair and tie pretty ribbons at the ends of my pigtails. She would bake cookies for me, and we would have cookies and milk together and talk. She would have books that she wanted me to read to her, and uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Well, I think I was in about the fourth grade. Um, You know, school started, the days got shorter, weather got cold, and I didn't see Mrs. Morrow. And then I think it was must have been the following March because it was a cold day. And I was uh, across the street. I don't know what I was doing, but I looked over and I saw a wreath with pretty flowers on Mrs. Morrow's front door. And I thought, oh, my, I would just love to see her. So, of course, I went across the street knocked at the door, and her daughter answered. And she, the minute she saw me, she said, Oh, Emily, you've come to see Mother. And I walked in, and she ushered me around the corner and into the living room and up to a casket. Oh, my. Now, this was my first exposure to a dead body. Mm-hmm. And it was like experiencing 
electric shock. I'm telling you, I, I, I still stiffen up just thinking about it. And that soft pink face with twinkling blue eyes that I wanted to see that day uh, was gone. And I looked at this body, a thin, white, lifeless face with stern, thin lips. Uh, the woman that I had loved um, like a grandmother had been transformed into a frightening, lifeless thing. And mm -hmm. I, I just, I was aghast. And the daughter looked at me and she said, uh, I've been told that um, it helps if you touch the body. And before I could do anything, she picked up my hand and placed it on Mrs. Morrow's hard, cold hand. And I flinched and jerked away, terrified. And anyway, I got out of there. I had a horrible knot in my stomach. Afterwards, I had nightmares and I would wake up in a sweat thinking that Mrs. Morrow was standing there staring down at me. It was just awful. So for years, I couldn't even walk by a funeral home. <laughs> uh, I'd have to cross the street. Mm -hmm. uh, I was afraid of a hearse. Um, oh, and, the, and the, uh, that scent of flowers became to me a sick sense of uh, a sickening sense of death and, right. and all these things I associated. Well, that's how I lived up until I had my near death experience. So it's important to understand how much a part of me that fear was. Mm -hmm. And after my near death experience, Sandra, <laughs> that fear was completely gone, 100%. Um, I came back knowing, and nobody appreciates this more than you do, I knew that we don't die. <laughs> and uh, I also knew that um, God is loving, intelligent, and you know, all pervasive. Um, he is everything. As as our friend Carolyn Chang says, there is nothing that is not God. And um, I also ended up knowing that we are all one with God and, and one with each other. And I was just filled with joy and with bliss. Um, you know, your imagination can't do that to you. Right. So, you know, when I hear uh, people question uh, near-death experience, um, if <laughs> the real proof is the way it changes a person's life. It's, it almost changes the color of your eyes. So. Um, Emily, is there anything about it you're willing to tell us? I, I'm sure there'll be people that buy your book, but one of the things I always like to give people in the show is why the guest believes. And some people may never read your book, and it may be 
at this time, it may be the words people need to hear. So is there any chance you could give us a little bit yeah, more details? Of course, I will. Um, uh, I was, uh, I had, I was taking allergy shots at the time. And this was a, a real, an, an allergic reaction to a shot. Um, but it was not the kind that normally um, happened for for one thing, um, you know, I, I became very cold and it didn't happen right after the shot was given. I got the shot in, in the doctor's office. I came home and, and of course you have to wait for a while after they give you the shot. I came home. I was very, very cold. I, because I was so cold, I, uh, it was July. I went out in the sun, and uh, the sun was, it was a very hot day, and my body started to swell, and my body kept swelling until it was about five times my normal size, and it couldn't swell. <laughs> my skin on my arms and legs split wide open. Oh, no. Um, I was... Uh, I could, my throat was closing, my eyes were swollen shut, my tongue, I could hardly breathe because my tongue was blocking my air passages, and I would go unconscious. And I, I couldn't be touched, I couldn't be moved, um, I had no clothes on. My mother put um, ice cream, those great big ice cream drums that ice cream comes in. Mm -hmm. She attached, she put them on either side of me and attached the sheets to those to keep them up off my body because I was oozing a clear liquid from the, where my skin had split. Um, all I remember was uh, our doctor came to the house and I remember hearing him say to my mother, there isn't a thing I can do. We can't move her. I can't, she can't take a pill. I can't give her an injection. All we can do is pray. And I thought they were at my side and I thought they were praying. And that was the last thing I remembered. The next thing I knew, um, I was on a train going through outer space. Now, I think this is significant, Sandra, from what I told you about my fear of death. I was at the back of this train, and as I looked out the windows, um, we were going through darkness, and I could see teeny little stars in the distance. And in front of me were men and women in dark clothing. The women had dark dresses on and they had hats with dark veils and the men had dark suits on. And I started to get, the, and I felt very alive, very well. And um, I didn't question anything. I just accepted where I was looking at these people. But the backs of these people seemed familiar, like perhaps they had been friends of my grandparents or my parents, people who had been kind to me, yet they were strange. And at that point, a conductor comes down the aisle 
And um, this isn't your normal, the kind of near-death experience, uh, you know, that, that you often hear about. Um, but here comes the conductor, and he, he has a face that is glowing. I felt so safe with him. He had white hair and a conductor's cap on, and he comes up to me, and I, I said, I felt so loved and so safe with him. And I said, can you tell me where this train is going? And he said, we'll be there soon. And I said, and who are these people? And then all of a sudden, I thought, oh, my gosh, could these people be dead? Uh, and I first thought they were going to a funeral. And then I looked at him, and I said, that could they be dead? And, he, and the train started to slow down. And he went, not really. Uh, he said, um, you stay here and I will come back and get you. The train is stopping. I'll come back and get you. You stay where you are. So I sat there. The train came to a stop. The doors up way up front opened, and these people got up uh, rather rigidly and mechanically, and they started to walk down the aisle. And the conductor came back, and he took my hand. And we started to follow these people off the train. Well, Sandra, when I got to the open doors of the train and looked out, that was when I saw the light and felt the overwhelming love. And the light was not light. <laughs> it was light and sound and substance and love. And I, 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 there's no description. Mm -hmm. But what was so significant was that I watched each one of these people step off the train and merge into the light and become one with it. And the closer I got to the opening and I kept looking, I could also see the everything was made of light and, and things were outlined in a deeper shade of gold. And I could see the shapes of houses. And it was as though these people were merging, they were becoming one with the light, but they were also a part of a community because there were houses there. And so I knew that we are spirit, we are one with the light, but we are also who we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we also retain our gifts and our identities of, uh, in some way. And, um, uh, and then, of course, I, I looked around the corner, I peeked around the corner, and I saw an angel, which was <laughs> amazing. So that was, I wanted to join, I wanted to uh, go. Uh, and join the others. And of course, the conductor said to me, Emily, um, you can't, you can't get off the train, you can't leave. And I remember saying, 
but what am I doing on the train if I can't, if I can't go? go? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then the next thing I knew, um, it was the next day, and my mother was um, swabbing me, and because I was sticking to the sheets, the swelling, a lot of the swelling had gone down, and I still was so swollen, Sandra, that I couldn't speak. I could barely, just there was a teeny little bit of a blur that I could see a figure in front of me, and I knew it was my mom. And I must have been crying from joy because I was just, I was feeling so, so joyful. And I was filled with bliss. And I wanted to say, oh, my gosh, you won't believe this. (laughs) But I couldn't talk. And um, uh, that was that was my my big experience. And uh, the funny thing about it is that because I had no language, Sandra, um, I thought I was the only person that this happened to since since biblical times. Mm -hmm. Nobody talked about these things. So I didn't know what to do with it. Right. It was just there. So Interesting, uh, Emily. I find out you and I are both speakers at the IANS conference coming up this year. Yes. I, I, that is, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. And I'm looking forward to that conference. I think IANS is amazing. Mm-hmm. And for our listener, I've spoken to some people from IANS before, but it's I-A-N-D-S dot org. And it's the International Association of Near Death Studies. Uh, which has, I think, the biggest volume of members and stories of near-death experiences. And they have their annual conference that I don't remember the dates offhand, but I (laughs) know on their website they're there. And I am absolutely thrilled to be there and see you and hear you share your story and lots of other people as well. So that's exciting. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So back to you and the mystical interludes, I do know you've had quite some travels in your lifetime all over the world. And what other kind of things started happening that you decided to create the book? And did any experiences happen when you were traveling uh, to China or wherever you've been? Egypt, I think Uh, you've been, right? There was... um, uh, course uh, yes there there were um the whole trip it, it's it's as though it, i felt as though jim and i were supposed to have taken these trips when we did um but i can tell you this after um after my near-death experiences thing uh things started to happen and one of which was my gut feeling about a past life was confirmed to me because one of my experiences was a vision of a past life. Okay. And, um, and that happened. I had, uh, uh, after I had all three of my children and they were all, uh, very young. Um, my last two children were only, um, 
I think, 18 months apart. So I had two, two of them in cribs and uh, one in a, in a single bed. And I woke up. It was near dawn. The um, house that we lived in had windows that looked out uh, over trees. There was nothing at all in the back of the house. The house was located on a ridge. And so I didn't have any curtains at the back of the house. And I loved uh, the openness and being able to see the sun come up and uh, the horizon and so on. So this uh, it was probably pre-dawn. The sky was just gray, just the light was just beginning to break. And I went down the hall to the bathroom and on my way back, I checked on all the kids. I got into bed and it, it was so serene that I just decided to sit up for a minute or two. And I gazed out the window and Sandra, <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but in an instant, I was a floating, free, aware spirit. I was out of my body, and I was in Siam. Now, I knew that I was in Siam, and I was outside this, um, if I use, if I say the word palace, <laughs> uh, that is, I, that's kind of, um, a misnomer. It was a very, very large uh, wooden structure because it was in a rural area, and it had the um, the flair of Siamese architecture with with the edges of the roof turned up, that kind of look. Um, but it was old and very spacious. And I entered this building, and um, I remember kind of floating up uh, the steps at the front. And then I entered and floated to a room in which stood a uh, girl who was tall and thin, and she had her black hair tied in a knot at the back of her head. And I floated up to her and looked deep into her dark eyes, and I knew I was looking at myself. Now, this sounds so strange, but I was still Emily looking at myself in Siam. And what is remarkable is that I knew about her. I, the name, her name never even occurred to me I because it wasn't necessary. We were one in spirit. I knew. I knew who she was. I knew that she was the daughter of the ruler of the, the uh, man in that uh, who was the ruler of that province, and he had many wives, and the wives had a bunch of children. A lot of families lived under that roof. The uh, sons, the, the wives that, who gave him sons, 
were the ones that he favored the most. My, the woman who was my mother in that life uh, was one of his um, unexceptional wives because she did not give him a son. She only had me as a daughter. And I was her ticket up the social ladder because the daughters of this man um, were perpetually trained in the traditional dances, uh, along with the daughters of all the other people, most of the other people in in that, um, I hate to say palace, but it was the Mm -hmm. main building. And, um, but the daughters were the ones who were always competing for the leads in these traditional dances. And when ceremonies uh, were held, when dignitaries came, uh, all the girls performed the traditional dancers. So the daughters were always vying for the lead roles. Now, I was um, very good, but my weakness was in that life Um, I was graceful and I could move beautifully, except when it came to the hand and wrist movements, that is where I was weakest because that required vigorous stretching of the hands and wrists and practice, practice, practice. And in that life, I hated it. I just couldn't get myself to do the kinds of exercises that were required. And at that moment, I was waiting the other eye, (laughs) Uh, my Siamese uh, being, was waiting for the tutor to come in who was going to uh, put me through the paces, the exercises, the hand stretches, and the practices. Now, My mother, who was very ambitious, um, was punishing me, had taken away all my privileges, and I was in this room. I couldn't, uh, most of my privileges were taken away because of my um, inability and my refusal to, to practice. So while, and I knew all of this. While I was there, I could describe the room to you and I, and so on. It would take too long. But one of the significant things that happened was um, the other me opened the shutters. And there were wooden shutters, uh, no, no glass, just wood. And you could hear these teenagers um, on the other side of the wall you could see them, and they were the, they had a cart, and the cart was being drawn by some animal. I don't know whether it was a goat or an ox or <laughs> what. Okay. And there was uh, either some type of grain on the back of it, and one boy was was uh, sitting in the driver's seat, you know, with the horse or whatever. And the other boy was on top of the grain and two girls were following and they were tossing pebbles at at the boy. 
And they were shouting back and forth and giggling. And the Siamese me was so depressed and so sad and stood looking out the window with those sad, dark eyes, wishing, wishing, wishing she could be one of those kids. She had no life, and she was very, very sad. Emily, did this all happen just in an instant that you got, like, merged into this experience? It sounds very, very clear. It was. It was. It was. It, there was no separation. As I say, I was looking at the dawn or looking at the sky and bam, here I am. That's amazing. It In a flash, Sandra, and it's I, I have no explanation. Have you been to Siam, can I assume, when you went yes. to Thailand? Well, when you, that, when you asked me about my travels, yeah. this is so strange because... Um, we went to we went to Thailand, and we had a guide whose name was Anna. Anna and I could have been sisters. Um, Jim took a picture. She and I are standing together, and we're both looking forward, and it's a side shot, and <laughs> the shapes of our faces. In this picture, we, we could be family. It is the most uncanny thing. And I sat and, and I shared this story with Anna one evening. And she immediately wanted me to uh, leave with her and visit. Her. She had a guru that she wanted me to visit. And um, she called him on the phone. And he said to her that he sensed that there was a connection. And when I when she described to him the kind of um, structure that that building was and what I understood, he agreed. And that was that. I just left it there because uh, because of our travel plans, I didn't have the time to break from our group and go and do this. Could you imagine if you went to that place and saw that building? Oh my gosh. Well, he didn't know, he didn't know the location of the building. But he said that he knew of such types of buildings. Mm -hmm. That could happen as synchronicities go. Yes. And did you have that feeling like a deja vu that you were at home there that you knew oh, this place? Yes. You know, the Thai people are, are so, so lovely. Um, they smile easily. They're, they're very loving. Um, there's such a difference between China and Thailand because in China, it's just noise and bustle and everybody's tooting horns and honking and yelling. And you get to Thailand and they call their taxi cabs tuk-tuks. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the only noise they make, just the tuk 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 of the motor. They don't they don't lay on their horns, people ride bikes, it's just a whole different world there. And yes, I felt a peace there. Oh. So um and then there was a 
I, I don't know, Jim and I seem to have been guided because when we went to Egypt, Sandra, uh, it was after 9-11, and everybody was afraid to travel. Yes. And I had heard horror stories from friends who had been to Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. And they talked about the fact that uh, you go into a pyramid, and you're packed in like sardines, and if you have claustrophobia, too bad. And uh, it's, you know, they have some lighting and so on. Well, my gosh, Sandra, Jim and I went uh, after 9-11. Actually, it was in December. And we were in the Queen's, the Queen's chamber uh, alone. Hmm. Alone. <laughs> and we were walking around and examining everything. And what I recall about that experience was my hands and I was tingling. I just tingled. And um, it, it was a stunning, stunning experience. Oh, Emily, time's going by quickly, and I don't want to miss asking you about your second book. Okay. Because I know you started asking for other people's experiences. And if you can tie that in, and I don't know, are any of the extraordinary experiencing having to do with the afterlife oh well uh may i may i just run over just give you some of the things that are in my first yes book? okay uh in my first book i selected i've had many many experiences but i selected 10 different ones to write about and they're about learning gratitude and forgiveness uh, they're about receiving messages from deceased loved ones in all kinds of ways, uh, aroma, visions, um, variety of signs, a lucid dream. Actually, Sandra, I actually hit on a number <laughs> because of a dream. Okay. And uh, my near-death experience, automatic writing, channeling vision of a past life, and so on. So I invite readers. Lots of good things. And, and uh, because I believe that everybody has these, whether you know it or not. And my dear publisher, um, Penelope Love of Citrine Publishing, created a website for me where people could submit stories. And, that, and I collected 39 stories, and that made up my second book. And those stories are about um, hearing, uh, hearing a voice that made, saved a life, uh, people being contacted by angels, life-changing premonitions, near-death experiences, lucid dreams, receiving help from the other side, receiving messages from loved ones, uh, shamanic journeying, process of discovering a, your life purpose, personal healing, deja vu and recalling a past life, uh, lucid dreams, um, oh, and several wonderful stories about how couples knew they were destined to be together through a series of accidents and or coincidences and um, I have a story about a past life regression. So that book, um, when I started, I had no idea where it would lead. 
And uh, of course, I have these stories are wonderful. So this just shows to me that we are indeed uh, experiencing a major shift in awakening. And um, your conference certainly confirms this. So um, do we have time for um, my big experience with Suzanne? Yes, sure. (laughs) Well, uh, coincidence and synchronicity have just Mm -hmm. flowered in my life. Um, It was October of, I think, 2017 when um, my friend Nancy and I went to Suzanne's workshop. Suzanne? Suzanne Giesman. Suzanne Giesman. Naval commander, now evidential medium and more. Superb evidential medium. Mm -hmm. So she was having her workshop called um, Serving Spirit. She has Serving Spirit 1 and 2. And this was in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So Nancy and I went to the workshop. And it was amazing. Well, it was the um, third day. This workshop was two full days, Saturday and Sunday. And it was ending on Sunday afternoon around 4 o'clock. Well, I had taken um, uh, my first book. I hadn't finished my second book. But I had taken my first book with me. And I sheepishly, on Sunday afternoon, uh, handed her a copy, well, knowing full well that I'm sure people do the same with you, Sandra. Uh, she had been receiving books from different, many different people. And uh, and I, even when I handed it to her, I said, I know you, you probably will never read this, but here I brought this for you. And she thanked me, and that was that. Well, everybody left. The, the workshop was over. Nancy and I were planning to get into our cars and come, come home, but it was raining. We found a, an offer under our door when we got back to the room that the, if you stayed another night, the rate was very, very, <laughs> it was an offer you couldn't refuse. So we decided, okay, let's just stay this night and we'll leave in the morning. So that's what we did. And the next morning, We went down to the cafeteria because breakfast was included. And we walk in, and who's sitting there but Suzanne Giesman by herself at a table? We were stunned. We we thought she was long gone. And we looked at her, and she invited us immediately to sit down. So we did. And we started to chat, and we sipping coffee and Pretty soon, Suzanne looks over at me and she says, well, you know, you kept me up most of the night. And I said, what? And she said, anytime I come on these trips, well, number one, we were, stu- we were surprised that she was still there. And she said, when I come on these trips, I always have a book with me. And she said, I went to open my book last night and I had tossed yours on my bed. And she said, I felt a nudge. So instead of opening my book, I took picked yours up and I opened it and I couldn't put it down. Oh, great. And it was that through that tremendous coincidence, which I call a mystical interlude, Suzanne 
has written the foreword to my second book. Fantastic. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. For our listener who doesn't know much about Suzanne, she was a U.S. Navy commander. And uh, I think I, yes, I interviewed her on episode 104, but she became an evidential medium and now she's a teacher and she's just amazing. So there are so many mainstream people that next thing you know, they're involved in this. They have the mystical interludes, which I think we all do that, that bring us together. And I do believe, Emily, that more people have had them than have not. Because when I first came out that I wanted to write my book, I was so afraid what people would think. You know, I thought, oh, people are going to think I'm crazy. But no one did. It was, oh, let me tell you this story. Let me tell you this story. And it was an opening for people to share. So I really acknowledge you for opening it up so that people can share. Is there a third book in the works or in your brain? Yes, there is. And uh, along with you, uh, I'm trying to raise the tide of this um, major awakening that we are now a part of. Um, But I think that, uh, Sandra, I think people are still uh, reticent about talking uh, about their experiences and and that's my mission is to try to get people to um, number one notice them realize them and talk about them and boy nobody knows better than I do how easy it is to put those things on the back burner and go through life and not be aware of how they are shaping who you are and the very fabric of your life um, I, I know that in spades because it took me so long to realize uh, how significant my experiences uh, were to me. So I think that things like coincidences and synchronicities, I think these are gateways to awakening. And um, uh, I really encourage people to pay attention. Do you know where the word coincidence came from? No. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on the same day in 1826, exactly 50 years after they both signed the Declaration of Independence. And because they of their simultaneous deaths, the incidences of their deaths were called coincidences. And that's how that word became a household word. Very interesting. Isn't that interesting? I never knew that before. But I think that there's something more that goes on when these things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, like my walk, our walking, Nancy and I walking into that restaurant. And here we are, the three of us together. Um, when there was, it was very unlikely that that would happen. Uh, Nancy and I were not supposed to be there. We were going to leave the day before. I don't know what Suzanne's schedule was, but I think it's more than co 
incidences. Mm-hmm. I think there's something more powerful at work. And that's why I prefer to call these uh, events mystical interludes. I love it. My dad would always say coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. I always like that. I, I can't with- tell you how many flights that I take and the person sitting next to me is just coming back from a funeral or going to a funeral. And, <laughs> you know, I always travel with copies of my book and just have these really amazing conversations. And, oh, I, I love uh, the way uh, your book lines up all the, the uh, reasons that you believe in uh, that we don't die. Oh, and now there's so many more having this show now for just over four years. And something I wanted to mention, too, there's a book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell that I read years ago, and it's how fads catch on. And I think based on what you're doing, what I'm doing, what so many others are doing, and now we're teaming up together, that eventually people will have communities that we're talking just like we are right now. And it will just continue. And there will be that tipping point and that change on our planet that more people believe than don't. And I think it'll really, you know, we are part, we are all part of making this global difference. It will happen. It's one of those knowing, and I believe it's, I've also got this knowing that it'll happen in my lifetime. I mean, it's not that far in the future. Well, from what I witnessed at your conference, I can't help but agree with you. And I even have more evidence to support uh, your theory, Sandra, Mm -hmm. because um, a few years ago, uh, when our Mystical Interludes discussion group started, uh, we, I think the first meeting we had something like eight people there, and uh, we met in my home for the longest time. And now we uh, have had to move out of my home and we <laughs> are now in um, the clubhouse of uh, where I live. And um, the group has uh, really grown <laughs> exponentially and it continues to grow. And uh, the people who come to the meetings are very, very grateful that they can speak openly and share openly. And there is a camaraderie and a trust, uh, and I dare say love, within this group of sharing. And all of us are committed to helping others realize um, spirituality and waking up. Mm, Beautiful thing. Thank you, Emily, for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. I hope I haven't talked your ear off. Oh, it's fu- it's fun <laughs> to having these different conversations. And I always say, and you've heard me say this listening, you know, there's gold in every conversation. And I think for myself, one of the big takeaways I have is, you know, there's, you, we can actually be on the lookout for these mystical interludes, you know? I think if we spend too much time in our own head, we can miss them. But if we spend time, like you say, living in forgiveness and gratitude and an awe, really, and some quiet in our brain, like we can start picking up on these mystical occurrences. So it just kind of reminded me that um, there's so much bigger picture going on. I think it's very easy to 
be focused in our own problems and opportunities and things that are going on, but to really take ourselves out of that and pay attention for those synchronicities and those coincidences and mystical interludes. So people can get in touch with you through your websites, correct? Yes. And they can, can submit their own stories through my website. That mysticalinterludes.com? That's correct. Perfect. Well, Emily, again, thank you for being our guest. And to our listener, thank you for being along on this ride. This has been episode 307 of We Don't Die Radio. It's hard to believe, but there are so many great stories. And I'm so grateful that I've got to talk with so many wonderful people. And one of my big things is uniting these voices and sharing as many great people as I can so that you know that you're not alone, that your life matters, that we don't die, that your loved ones are still around, and really to have some of these incredible experiences. They're, they are ours as a bonus of being a soul, having a human experience. We always hear about these souls and all the magical things that can happen in the hereafter. But I think just being here on earth, we are souls, but we've got the body, we've got time and space to deal with. So sometimes things aren't as fast as we'd like them to be. But pay attention to your thoughts, put in forgiveness, put in gratitude, just some of those things that actually make us feel better, I believe can have kind of be the fuel to uh, have things become real in your life and important to watch our thoughts and put good thoughts in. So a few reminders or information, if this is your first time listening, we don't die radio.com is our home base for now 307 episodes and always what's happening, live conferences and things like that. There's a few free giveaways, uh, how to survive grief audio, my 19 reasons to believe in the afterlife file, and you can read a copy of my book there as well. We were talking on the show about the IANS conference, and those dates are August 29th through September 1st, 2019. It's in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, which is just on the outskirts of Philadelphia. So you'd fly into Philadelphia. You can go to IANS.org to find out more. And both Emily and I will be speakers there along with some other great people. Very excited about that because the whole group of people that I haven't met yet. So I think that's going to be great for us. And I think that's pretty much it. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. We have been talking to Emily Rodovich, who you can visit her website, emilyrodovich.com or mysticalinterludes.com. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. I want to thank you for listening from the bottom of my heart. Make it a great day at a some gratitude, make a difference for another. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.